0: I just went grocery shopping and I was in Jewel for forever. I hate Jewel. I hate. Juul. You hate Jewel? It's <laughs> horrible.
1: Welcome to Great Windy Way, a podcast putting a spotlight on Chicago theater. I'm Sarah and my guest today is Mercedes White. She is a Chicago native and an actor, a director, a writer and just an amazing person and I'm really excited for you to hear what she has to say about art, about life and about the city of Chicago. I wanted to talk to you first because you are an actor, you're a writer, Mm -hmm. you're um, a director, you started a theater company, which is so amazing, and I just kind of wanted to get the inside scoop on all of that, Uh if that's okay. Yeah. Um, And I think it's really cool because you grew up in Pilsen, Mm -hmm. and so I was just curious about how growing up in the city of Chicago has affected your art and then like actually...
0: I think a lot of the work that I do and like a lot of the work that I create based on those experiences of growing up where I grew up, just seeing how we lived. And that is how I want to showcase the world through my experiences because I, like I didn't grow up wealthy by any means at all. Like I was very poor. We struggled a lot, but my mom somehow managed to make everything work and I got to see my dad and the things that he did to also make things work for us as well. And those stories are never told about, you know, two teenage parents Mm -hmm. who, like, don't really have um, mom and dads who are helping them raise their kid. You know, like, who are—they don't have a familial setting where it's, like, they can rely on on these people. And not saying that my grand—you know, my my grandmothers were just, like— go off into the sunset with your children. But it was like, okay, this is your child. We'll help where we can. You just have to grow up now. I think that because my parents were so young when they had me and my siblings, that I grew up in a different sort of environment. And I think that those stories just aren't told. Mm-hmm. Um, and then growing up in Pilsen and being just like the, you know, one of like five, you know, biracial kids in the neighborhood is like, it It never felt weird to me. Mm-hmm. But it was, I always knew I was different. Yeah. It was just like uh, an unspoken sort of thing. Just like you are an outsider, but an insider because we've been diaper buddies. we have grown up together. So we, you know, the same thing I know. And I I would never think of you as an outsider, Mm -hmm. but you are an outsider because there were things that because I was African-American too, I could not, we, there were certain things we could, they could, we couldn't talk about together. Because one, I didn't have that experience culturally. Um, and two, it's just like they didn't know about it as well. Like you don't learn about African-American history in school. And that experience as, you know, this little six-year-old girl living in this neighborhood. You can't name of a story of like a, a black, lesbian, Mexican writer, actor who grew up in like this all-Mexican neighborhood. There isn't a person yeah. on the planet besides myself. Right. And it's, like, those experience. And then Pilsen is just, like, full of all this vibrancy. And you have yeah. so many wonderful Mexican-American people who are just, like, working their ass off. And you don't get to see that side of, of the community, you know? Like, when I was growing up, it's just, like, we it, we didn't have a lot of gang violence in my neighborhood. But sometimes we did. And that's just all that was reported. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh, a 15-year-old kid has been accidentally shot. It was like 15-year-old gang member murdered. Right. And it's like, you didn't even know him. He wasn't in a gang. But that's just the stereotype of the neighborhood. Or, or not even the neighborhood, but of the people. Yeah. Um. And so, growing up there, and my experiences there, sort of influenced my writing. Because I just want to change the, the perspective of, you know, all the people that I grew up with. I mean, not change their perspective, but the way that they're seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And,
0: um... I just want to bring new stories and tell different, I want to tell the same story in a different light.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's two sides to every coin Mm -hmm. and getting your perspective on the same exact story could be completely different from somebody else because you have that experience. Yeah. What was, um, like kind of taking through your career journey, but like kind of starting with, like, where did you do theater in school? Were, were your parents, did they kind of, um, introduce you to it or did it kind of did you fall into it?
0: Um, I mean, I've always just been a very creative child. Um, never really uh, fit in all the way. It was always kind of like weird and wacky and like, but super athletic. So there was like this conflict. Okay, um, yeah.
1: Were, were sports pushed on you more than the arts? Um,
0: they weren't pushed on me. I don't think my parents didn't really tell me to do one thing or the other. Uh, I just was a huge sports person mm, okay. and we are a huge like sort of sports family just very like athletic we play all different kinds of sports yeah so that was my main thing but I think in the fifth grade we were doing the Grinch we were doing like a little assembly of the Grinch yeah and my friend Lizzie and I had to be the narrator and I was like man that sucks because I'm really not in the spotlight I'm not the Grinch I'm not you know, any of the citizens of Whoville, I'm just like the narrator just standing to the side reading all these lines. It was so many lines. I was like kind of a little upset about that, but I worked really hard on those lines and I like memorized them and I didn't know it was such a big deal until the performance day came and we do the show and not a single person paid attention to Rodolfo who played the Grinch. (laughs) It was like Damn afterwards. Narrator, man. everyone was like, "How did you learn all those lines?" Because uh-huh. I was memorized, and you know, Lizzie was not. It was just like I was memorized, and everyone was blown away by that. And I was like, "Well, I thought that was part of the job." I yeah. didn't know that we can read. It. <laughs> I'm like, is that not? Um, but I think that if I think of a moment of when I was like, "Damn, I really like this thing," um, it was then in the fifth grade. Then, like seventh grade, I did improv. Okay, Um, cool. Yeah, which was super cool with my seventh grade teacher. She's just like a huge she's not an actress, but she was huge in like the theater community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did a lot of work with like David Schwimmer.
1: Oh, Um, wow.
0: Yeah. So she was she introduced us to improv in the seventh grade. So that instantly I was like, Oh, I'm totally hooked. Got to high school. Signed up for theater, because I'm like, improv theater, those are the same. Right. <laughs> and it was not. It was, it not, was not at all. It was very different, to the point that I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm, interesting. My teacher, Miss Bennett, rest her soul, she was like, you know, we had Chekhov and and Shakespeare and Stanislavski and August Wilson, right at, right at the front, right in the freshman year. And I was like, this is horrible. I don't ever want to do this again. Um... And we did, like, Arcadia. And I was like, oh, God, this is awful. So As a I, freshman? Yeah. So wow, that's a lot. Yeah, just, like, all the work that we were just learning and yeah. reading. And Smith Bennett was a badass. Yeah. And I just was like, I don't want to do this. So we were choosing our classes for sophomore year. And I remember running right up to the little freshman academy lab and being like, I want to change my class. So I dropped theater. And I was like, oh, you know what? I like singing. Singing school. I'm going to take choir. But for whatever reason, it wouldn't let me choose it online. So I had to go down to the office and they were like, oh, you will just have to wait for like 20 minutes. Such and such will be back to change your class. And I didn't wait. I just left. (laughs) Um, and then I had theater again.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah.
0: I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I was like, whatever. I'll just figure it out. And I had theater sophomore year again. And, uh. That was the, that sort of changed my life. That experience is like sophomore year. I got to be, I auditioned to be in the Crucible. Oh, okay, cool! And I mean, I didn't even want to audition. I just like didn't even want to do it. But Miss Bennett was like, all of her class had to audition, and I was like, oh, you're yeah, killing so me. Yeah, so that's in
1: high school.
0: Yeah, so I did it, and I was like, Miss Bennett. You know, at this point, I had came out of the closet. Wait, was I out of the closet? Wait, I, I wasn't out of the closet yet. I oh, came out, okay. I came out the end of that year. I just felt insecure in my body already. I didn't even know I was like super insecure because I was struggling with my sexuality. Short haircut, everything. And uh, I was like, no one's gonna believe that I am a girl, Miss Bennett. I just like can't, I, no one's gonna buy it. Um, and I was like, no one's gonna believe me, Miss Bennett. So she cast me. She didn't care about that. She was like, "Whatever. I need girls to play guys anyway. You can do it." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so,
0: also, as it yeah. is in high school, she uh, she cast me as Reverend Paris, and that experience was sort of like mind blowing to me because here I was learning these lines, but not. I was like so dedicated, and I didn't even know why. Mm-hmm. There's something about it. I like would stay in my room and go over my lines over constantly, constantly. At, when you're first starting out, you don't really know how to learn lines. Yeah. You don't really have, like, a method. You're no. just like, let me just go, you know what I mean? <laughs> let me yeah. try and figure it out. But uh, in doing in, in doing that little method, I, I memorized the entire play. I didn't know that I could do that. Like, it was just the amount that I was listening to the play, reading it, going through it. It, it was to the point where, like, I would be on stage and... Someone would forget their line, and I wouldn't be even be in the scene, and I would just give it to them before Miss <laughs> Bennett could look for it. I just gave it to them because I knew it, and that changed my life. That and from that point on, I was like, okay, I kind of I I I like theater now. You were betting, yeah. Um, and you know, just like all the like Stanislavsky and Chekhov, and all the work that we actually did with Miss Bennett for the remainder of my time in high school. Uh, prepared me for college, you know, when I got there, people were being introduced to those Yeah, people.
1: Where did you go to high school?
0: Jones. Jones? Jones College. Oh, rap. okay. Um. And then you went to college where? U of I. U of I? Yeah. Uh, Champagne? mm mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I went to school with Chance Rapper, if, if that makes any sense.
1: That's cool. Yeah. Like, at the same time?
0: Mm-hmm. No way! Yeah, that's what, that's my little homie. That's so cool! It's my Facebook friend and everything. No <laughs> like way! Right back. Yeah.
1: Oh my God!
0: Uh-huh. But yeah, if I, when I see him, I'm like, what's up, little homie, or whatever, but...
1: Oh my God! Yeah,
0: people are always like, oh my God, did you, did you... I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: amazing. It's really
0: cool. Um, when I went to college, just like, I was ahead of the game. Yeah. And other people were just like trying to catch up. Uh, and then I also wanted to quit in college. Oh yeah? Yeah, because I again I was like I love playing basketball. This sucks. Mm-hmm. I was like I walk in here immediately the first day of the first day of classes. I walked into class and people were like spinning around, doing flips, and singing musicals. And I and was that like, wasn't
1: your thing. No,
0: I was like, oh, absolutely not. I was like, I don't, I can't, I can't be here. I said, I don't know why I agreed to come here to do this thing. What kept pulling you back? Um, I don't know. It's like every time, every time I try to do something else, it's so, I I would say that like I didn't choose theater, theater chose me. Yeah. And so like, it's just something that no matter how hard I try to dismiss it, I would always have a life changing experience. Yeah. And just like sophomore year of, of high school the same thing happened to me sophomore year of of college because all of freshman year of college I would write in our little journals that we had to turn into our teacher I don't want to be here this is so stupid because it was stupid I was like this is dumb we're learning the same things I learned in high school um and all of these people are fucking full of shit hmm. but that's because I'm a little judgmental I think <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you started your theater company with friends from college, correct? Yes. So you eventually found some kindred spirits.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: How long did it take to kind of find your find your people?
0: Well, I went to I went to high school with three uh, with two people, but two of the people, um, uh, Jessica and Didi, my best friend, Dee's getting married. Uh, we all went to Jones and then went to U of I. Oh,
1: okay.
0: So I already came with a, with a crew, and I was like, don't need anybody else. Um, but I we we built our friendship rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was really cool with each other. It, it was always like a family, especially when you're doing theater. Oh, yeah. And you guys are just, like, sitting there and farting around each other all day. Yeah. It's like you become quick friends. Uh, so it didn't take me long to, like, find... To get along with people, but like to really build that friendship where I felt like trust, mm-hmm. uh, probably just like probably by the end of freshman year, start yeah. of sophomore year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yeah, I I really didn't want to be there, and I will I I did not want to be there at all. Wow, I, I was like, this sucks. Um, did
1: you stick to doing shows at school, or did you try to do things outside of school just to kind of escape the? The bubble that you were in, or uh, yeah.
0: So we aren't allowed to do shows freshman year. Okay. So we have to. Uh, we had to wait till sophomore year. Mm-hmm. But I ended up auditioning for uh, this like, I think it's called What You Will Shakespeare Company. Oh, cool. That's what it was, and it was just like a student ran Shakespeare Company down at U of I. And they were doing the female version of Othello, an all-female production of Othello. Cool. So I auditioned for that, got that, and that was super cool. Who'd you play? Othello. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really cool. I got to be like in a rehearsal setting for the first time since high school. It was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so, I think. If I hadn't have done that, I think I would have been really, really pissed mm. a lot of the time. Yeah. But it was, like, so much fun. And I love Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, I swear my dog's name is Shakespeare. But, like, <laughs> I love it so much. And being able to do that and still feel so... And, like, you know, people from the theater, company, uh, theater department came and saw me and oh, stuff. Oh, that's
1: great. And that was really
0: cool. Um, and I, I was like, okay... But I just needed some sort of different release because I felt like one of the things I don't like is I don't like the typical theater person. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and not saying that like typical theater goers are those kind of people, but the typical theater person is the kind of person that you see in the movies when they're talking about, Theater. Whenever yeah. you see a like theater the person... Like the Rachel yeah.
1: of the world. Yeah.
0: Yes. I'm like, those kind of people usually end up doing something else. Those kind of people are very judgmental toward other people in their development process. Those kind of people think they know everything. And that is why we... we, we I went to school with a bunch of those people. And I was like, oh, no, 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 because you know, they had their little cliques and their little packs or whatever um, about how they thought theater people should be. Mm -hmm. And because I was not that, I was like the complete opposite of that. Me and my friend Julian, just like the complete opposite of what they thought theater people should be like or be. But it's also like we're 18. We're all super excited. Right. We're all just like used to being, well, not me, but like, they probably were used to being like, the theater kids at their school, you know, and I just, I just wasn't that mm-hmm. kind of kid. I yeah. just wasn't.
1: And then after college, did you start Definition right away or was that something that came a little bit later in your professional career?
0: Uh, definition came, it actually started uh, April of our senior year. So we oh, graduated, wow. Yeah. Okay. We did Brother Size, um, myself, Julian, and Tyrone, who are three of the founders, we did uh, the brothers Size by Sarah Alba McCraney down in the Armory Free Theater, so it's not technically a part of the theater like production, mm-hmm. but it's separate. It's a student ran theater thing, yeah, that is like separate from the department. Um, so we did a sh- we did that show and it went so well, and people were just like, uh, "Oh wow, you guys should take this show to Chicago." And we were like, "We don't know how to do that." They were like, "Well, <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta you should." You have to take to Chicago, but it should be, like, with a theater company. And, like, maybe you guys should create your own, you know? And we started thinking about that. And uh, then we kind of did it. You know, we had dinner uh, with our director, and she was the one who suggested it. And then we, like, talked forever, drank whiskey, and ate pasta. And then <laughs> the next day, we, me, Julian, and Tyrone... We were, like, trying to figure out who we wanted to be, like, a part of it. Yeah. It ended up being, you know, my friend Jessica, Aurora, and Kelson. Then we sat in the room and decided, like, well, who's going to be the artistic director? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Sure. Uh, And, yeah, it's just a bunch It's like, six 22-year-olds just sitting on a bed trying to figure out how we were going to do this thing and bring the show to Chicago. Um, And that was sort of, that was really cool.
1: That's amazing! Wow. Yeah. So I did like look at like the website, just try to get like familiar with what makes definition different from other theater companies. And something that stood out to me was on the website, it uh-huh. explicitly says like it's an anti-racist organization, uh-huh. and I thought that was a really interesting way, really interesting phrase. And I was just curious, in your own words, what do you think that means? Like, is it a culture? Is it like in the writing that's or in the work that's done? For me,
0: anti-racist is like it's it's different than saying anti anti-racism yeah right exactly so it's like anti-racist is just like it's making a bold ass statement targeting a specific kind of person and saying that like we don't want any of that nonsense in and around our theater company right you are not allowed Mm -hmm. your kind your presence is not allowed just sort of like what racism not what racism and what racist people represent it's just not allowed mm-hmm. in our company, in the work that we do, mm-hmm. in the stances that we take.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like theater is your biggest form of activism?
0: Me personally? Yeah. Is theater my biggest form of activism?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I would actually, um, I would say so because, and I didn't know that until just now, <laughs> but like, I feel like it is the only place where I get to, I get to express myself and I control it. I can... That's why I choose the projects that I do because I control my expression. When you are part of an organization, mm-hmm. then that it has to be a unit. Yeah. Even if you feel in, differently, you know, as individuals, you have to come united with the same sort of, like, approach. This is what we stand for. This is how we're going to, you know, support this cause or, you know, or, you know, um, fight for this. But... As an individual artist, I get to, through theater, I get to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. No one can tell me that I can't do anything. I, can, I control my content. I control my expression. I control which issues I'm going to talk about.
1: Yeah, that's really powerful.
0: Yeah. And even now, I'm doing a 10-minute a show, like a 10-minute play festival with Jackalope. Oh, Theater cool. company. And the play... So the way the festival is set up is that you... The playwright will get an article about something that's happening in the world right now, in present day. And then that playwright would have to write a 10-minute play on said article. And the article that I received was about the Japanese internment camps. Oh, wow. And how people have been protesting them in in LA. Any sort of Latin American that are being that's being thrown into a cage, they're now using the Japanese internment camps to do so.
1: Oh my god.
0: Right. And so it's like the basically my play is about showing the similarities between the Japanese internment camps, we have, you know, the Holocaust camps, and then we have modern day cages
1: mm-hmm.
0: for children mm-hmm. and it's going a to be a story told by three teenagers who are in these camps in each individual camp wow um and i think that it's important that people understand that the some that these are the exact same thing is happening mm-hmm. and um it's amazing to me that you know these survivors of the Japanese internment camp, people who like went through it, went through that. And you know, survivors of the Holocaust, there's like four left. And it's like people, they are, those are the people who are protesting, uh, who are protesting this because they've been through it. They've survived it and they're like, it's not okay. It's not okay what you're doing, like we've done it. And there's so much sympathy toward survivors of the Holocaust. Being like, man, we should have been there sooner. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we should have. But we're literally doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. On this turf. And I have to draw the similarities between the three in order to get the message across. Yeah. Um, And so I think that that in itself is a form of activism. Yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Absolutely. Yeah. So when does that go up? At
0: the beginning of next month. So like.
1: Beginning of August? Yeah,
0: beginning of August.
1: That's really, really cool.
0: Yeah, it's super dope. How
1: did you find your voice as a writer? Um, or was it just
0: kind of something that started happening out of nowhere? I think I almost oh. want to believe that it kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it was I may have just been ignoring it. Ah. Because I saw a Facebook memory from like nine years ago <laughs> that was like, Uh, I'm going to be a writer someday. And I was like, when did I write that? (laughs) What was that thought about? Yeah, right. (laughs) You know? And I I always remember just, like, being really good at, like, telling a story.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I've
0: always just been really good at telling a story. And um, I think sort of finding my voice or the confidence, which is, like, linked to the voice, is, like, yeah, the the first thing I ever wrote, like, for sort of people to, like, see or whatever, Mm -hmm. it was this play this play I did in college um, with Julian in it and it was our freshman year and uh, we had to write like a 10 minute play about something and I wrote uh, the play I wrote was called 1992 and it was about um, it was about this young Puerto Rican kid who may or may not have been diagnosed with HIV and the struggles of like how he had to deal with that his parents kicking him out and just, like, the AIDS epidemic and how everyone was so judgmental and so, like, mean. Yeah. You know, especially in, in 1992, it was, like, so it was, there were so many, like, gay rights activists marching and trying to be, like, hey, this is not the gay cancer. This is literally not just limited to us. Yeah. Um, And there was so much, like, stigma around it Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to write about this little 18 year old puerto rican kid who didn't do it by sleeping around he like literally contracted it from his partner Mm. um or he didn't we don't know that was the whole thing was like he went to get tested his parents found out kicked him out of the house he got his results back but he doesn't Share them before the play's over, and I, because I was like, for me, it's not about whether he has it or not.
1: Yeah, it's, it,
0: it's mm-hmm. about the way you reacted to the fact that he could have. Yeah, and that he was kicked out on the street as an eighteen-year-old kid. Right, and they
1: didn't even know.
0: Yeah, and it's like you didn't even know if he had it or not. And like he, his parent, his his dad comes and tries to explain, like you know, I have been. I grew up a certain way. Me being a proud, you know, Latino dad, like, I grew up a certain way. We were taught that this was, that guys who have sex with guys is wrong. Like, we, I don't know anything about that. And so, you get that sort of side. You you hear him talk about it. And then you hear his son explain, like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like, you were just supposed to love me as your son. Yeah. And said, you kicked me out. Mm-hmm. And now here, he's like, he's living here. And he's like, I don't have anything, but I'd rather live here and live in my sort of, live in my, like, pridefulness than to live at home. And you don't, yeah, you don't find out if he has it.
1: What made you feel like you needed to tell that story?
0: I, uh, I, um, I don't know. I think being that I came out so early and being that I knew a lot of people who were struggling with their sexuality and a lot of people who, you know, were, were 18 years old and did have HIV, a lot of people who were gay and homeless and who were prostituting themselves to older white men who have wives picking them up. I've literally seen old white dudes pick up these 17, 15, 16 year old boys, take them to a hotel, give them $30 and do whatever they want with them. And those kids get back out on the street. And it's like, I when I wrote, at the time when I wrote the story being gay was still like it wasn't a fad. It wasn't like cool. There was no queer eye for the straight guy. It was like there's no None of, it wasn't any of it. Yeah, It was like we had the L word on Showtime, and then... It's like we can afford Showtime. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? And it, that was it. And, like, there were so many people. I had people, like... Uh, just, like, two years before that, one of my friends in high school, her mom wouldn't even shake my hand. And it's like... She wouldn't even look at me, address me, nothing. Didn't even shake my hand. Shake everyone else's hand. When that happens, when you have to live your life like that, when people look down on you constantly because of, like, who you are and you're, like, afraid every day and mad and insecure just by your very existence, I think that I wanted to tell that story. I wanted to tell the stories about those people. And I wanted everyone in my class to know that, like, this is a real-life thing. Like, this happens to people. And it's like, you know, you think about gay, especially when I was younger, I thought about gay. I was like, oh, the only thing you see is, like, a white gay man. Right. And I was like, well, there are also brown gay people too. Different shades of gay people that exist and like, this is what is happening in our communities. We don't have our parents who can, who can handle it. And I know sometimes, you know, there are, there you know, there are tons of stories, especially back in the day about, you know, white parents who treat their kids like shit as well. But we hear those stories. Yeah. You don't hear the stories about these brown people who have been treated like shit. It's just like, We don't even talk about it. We just move on and then we live our lives and people are just like, oh, you're so strong. You don't even know what happened to them in the past Mm -hmm. because they've just moved on. But it's like it's very important to tell those stories and I think that's kind of why I wanted to tell those stories.
1: Yeah, I've I've noticed, like, I mean, from seeing the reading of River Jordan, another one of your plays, that it's very specifically, I mean, like, at the core of it, it's it's about homelessness. And Mm -hmm. so it feels like... Correct me if I'm wrong, or if you feel like there's maybe something different, but your writing kind of has this theme of, this is what you see, now I need to tell you, like, where we, how we got there. Do you feel like that's kind of something that you've always put into your writing? It's always this kind of, like, let's look behind the curtain? Or um, is it just those two plays that, you know, I'm kind of drawing that from? Or do you feel like that's something that's really important to you, is, like, giving more context to these social problems or these, um, these issues that come up in, you know, everyday life?
0: Um, I think specifically with those two plays, definitely. Um, overall, I think with all of the work that I am writing and, 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 uh, am creating is, is that sort of the element of showing a different side is, mm-hmm. is correct. Like, showing that, like... I guess, like, breaking the stigma. You yeah. know what I mean? Like,
1: being yeah, like, hey, totally.
0: these people also exist. Yeah. Um. You know, my my show, The Space in Between, is just about these two, two lesbians. You know, one is a lesbian for sure, and one starts off as, like, confused and not knowing what's happening, but it's like, there's so much stigma around just, like, lesbian relationships and, like, how they move too fast or... A lot of things that I got when, a lot growing up was that I was turning girls out, which is like taking straight women and making them gay, which is like,
1: oh, yeah, that's... I was like, and
0: that is unheard of to me because I'm like, I'm literally just standing here and like, <laughs> I haven't done anything. But that's like a stigma, and right. I've gotten it so much. So it was just like to see these two women who people think, you know, and also when people think of lesbians, they immediately think of sex. It's just like, To guys, it's the sexiest thing in the world. They're just like, oh, yeah. There's so much, like, sex surrounding just these two women. And I wanted to sort of remove that element and just, like, show people that, like, sometimes it's all about... Sometimes it's just, like, maybe a girl from Chicago just, you know, fell in love with a girl from Baltimore. You know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. like that... That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, And they have to deal with these sort of hurdles... and and figure out all the stuff that's left unsaid in, like, the space in between. And that is just, like, that's a basic human sort of thing. Yeah, we
1: can all relate to all
0: There's so much shit left in the space in between. And so I think making it so... Taking these stories that seem sort of individualized and specific and making them... So that they can relate to everyone.
1: Yeah, that's what's amazing about theater and your writing specifically. I've noticed that like, you know, people can take something different away from all of your plays and some things hit harder than others. Your writing can capture that and really include everybody, even when you're trying to tell these stories about, you know, people who might be seen as like an outsider Mm -hmm. or ostracized or just, you know, not your typical protagonist. Yeah. Which I think is really great. Um, And I admire you for that.
0: Thank you. Oh yeah,
1: you're welcome. That being said, do you feel like writing is where you're most at home or do you still feel like the stage is where you feel like, you know, it's really where you belong or you have two homes, you know, they're, they're both, they're both really cozy and comfortable or do you have kind of one place you gravitate more towards? I
0: think that, uh, had you asked me this question maybe like last year, or even the year before, maybe even like two weeks ago,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I might've said like acting is 100%, but I definitely think that the joy that I get when I am on a roll in like writing something, when I can finish like 20 pages straight is something that I don't, I've never experienced. I can't live without that feeling Yeah, because of that. Because of the fact that I am in control as well of what I write and how I write. Therefore, I can create the roles for me. Yeah. Because being an actress in the city so much, I depend on everyone else to cast me, to do this. And I think that is not, that sort of element of it is not, that's definitely not where the home is. Yeah. It's awful. I'm sure a lot of actors can relate. Can't do it. No. Because how I feel when I'm on stage doing something that's really powerful and really amazing is unmatched, but I have to be able to do that. Otherwise I can't sit here and say that like acting is where the heart is. If, if I'm not doing, I can't, I don't accept any role. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sometimes as actors, we're just like, just to do the work, just to do the work. Yeah. That's unbelievable to me. I can't just to do the work anymore. It's like,
1: yeah, I think I, everybody reaches yeah. a point in their career no like way. I have to make real decisions about what what I'm doing and what where my career is yeah. headed.
0: There's no way. So I love creating my own content and being able to act in it. I think writing it for me to act in it is a best feeling. It's like in the, the world. ultimate. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's like so they're both my homes if I can do them together.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: doing them together is the ultimate goal. Yeah, it's like Jesus Christ, um, because I can't. I I can't allow someone to choose my destiny for me. I can't yeah. allow for people to just decide that they think that I'm good enough for this thing.
1: Right. I mean, you look at pop culture and some of the best stuff that you see now is when people are writing it for themselves because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, I need to tell my story and I don't see it yet. So I, gotta, I guess I got to go yeah. write it myself. And I think that's really cool. What is... I know the the Jackalope Short Play Festival is coming mm-hmm. up. Is there anything else that we should be looking out for for you? I know you also mentioned you're going to San Fran to be in a show. Yeah.
0: Um. Um, yeah, I'll be in San Francisco uh, September through November doing Death of an Artist with uh, San Francisco Theater Company, which is super exciting. They're mad dope. San Francisco Bay Area Theater Company. Jesus Christ. I hope they don't <laughs> like, yell at me. Uh, I'm um, sure they're listening. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's coming up. Um, oh, I, Indiana University is, they put my play Genesis, which is a prequel to Raising in the Sun. Oh, wow. They put it in their cycle that they're doing. So they're doing, um, Raising the Sun in Clybourne Park, which is kind of like, oh, uh, that'll be really cool. Yeah. So they were like, hey, we would love to have Genesis, like, heard about it, and love to have Genesis as like, the prequel, so like I've never seen them all three together. That'll
1: be really neat,
0: yeah. And so they're doing all three of them, um, in like a reading series. Mm-hmm. When does it's happening in November? So I'll I'll be in that as well when I get back from San Francisco.
1: How cool! That
0: is so cool!
1: Congratulations, yeah, thanks. that's really neat.
0: Yeah, I was like, oh man, that's incredible. Um, so that's happening. Uh, I finished my pilot for the first time. Yes, that was super dope. I uh, got some really good feedback from one of my friends who writes for Designated Survivor. Oh, neat. Um, so she gave me some awesome feedback because I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Sure. And um,
1: pilots are hard, man. They're, yeah, there are very few perfect pilots. Yes,
0: they are very hard. And I'm like, but she said it was like she was like, this is actually really, really good. And I was like, I knew my, I already know that my words can like, I basically know how to write a story. So there's like Right, no yeah. Problem. Now it's just
1: tweaking it, it for yeah. a certain medium.
0: It was just the structure um, yeah. that kind of threw me off. But I did a really good job because I spent a year and a half studying it. Wow. Yes, I've been outlining for literally almost two years. And writing, finally I just wrote it, got it all out there. And it just felt really good. And for her to say that like, It was pretty good. Yeah. And to actually give me permission to go further. Yeah. Because some of the things that I was, the thing I was concerned about was I didn't want my scenes to be too long. Mm. Because in Mm -hmm. every pilot that I looked at, I was like, Jesus Christ, the scene's only like two and a half pages. Yeah. Because otherwise, I could write for days. I could just like, I I love to explain. I love (laughs) to emote. Yeah. I love showing feelings. But I was like, I can't do that because I only have two pages, so I have to, like, sort of figure out how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told me to, like, she's like, oh, you know, um, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know, to see more feeling mm-hmm. in this, in these sort of sections or, like, know about this certain relationship. And I was like, awesome. So that gives me I that permission. Yeah, yeah for I'm sure. So I'm super excited about
1: can, that. What, can you, like, elevator pitch what the show's about?
0: Oh, man. Okay, so the show is basically about this woman named Marley and her circle of friends and how they navigate being in their late 20s and all the things that they do and all the things that they deal with as late 20-year-old late 20 year old people. Really? Um, cool. Just like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like no one tells you how to do this shit called mm-hmm. life. It's yeah. like you don't know how. And so she is basically myself. The pilot starts off She's getting a divorce from her wife. She wants a divorce because her wife has cheated on her. And it also is sort of is like, it's just, I call it like the circle of connectivity. is because everyone is sort of connected in, in each individual way. Like yeah. she has her best friends, her two best friends. Um, and you get to see everyone's life. You mm-hmm. get a piece of everyone's life. Um, you know, the, the, the best friend woman, Denise, She's a single mother with a father, and with, uh, with her baby's father in prison for something he didn't do. But she doesn't know that. And so it's just like getting to tell that side of the story about the single mom being like, I don't want to take my son to see him anymore because my son is starting to remember and, want, and he's asking questions. And I don't want this to be a lasting imprint. We don't hear those stories. yeah. And so all of these people who are dealing with all these sort of things but still manage to sort of put a smile on their face, but are like struggling and just like still living their best lives and trying to kick ass every day. I just wanted to tell that, that story. It's what I would say. It's sort of like,
1: it's clearly uh, a farcical comedy.
0: (laughs) It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I would say it reminds me of this is us Mm -hmm. meets friends Mm -hmm. meets insecure. Yeah. And I I love it. I think that it's, like, it's very dramatic with comedy yeah. as well. It's you just, like, flare. it's literally just, like, everyday life. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of vibe that I was going for. But I think I'm, I want to sort of narrow it down as far as, like, my elevator pitch. Because the, I, I, the guy would have gotten off of the elevator by now because it's not just, like, Right, succinct. right, yeah, no, I gotcha. Um, so I really, really need to work on that and try to, like, Get it, basically my log line. Yeah, but I'm not good just at that.
1: Crystallize it, yeah. i you, th- you like to explain.
0: I like to. I mean, you know what I mean. So I'm not <laughs> good at it. Uh, people have read the pilot and they really enjoy it.
1: Good, so, good. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, I guess my final question: What makes Chicago theater special?
0: The people. I mean, it's just the people. There, we're a different breed here in Chicago. We aren't selfish. We're very I like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're very selfless kind of people. There's not a lot of people here are just out for themselves. It's all about helping the next person and trying to uplift them. So many times I see people who come to definition shows or who share something of mine or who have been to a definition show and who continue to support because that's just what they do. They'll share something on Facebook. It's, it's a very kind place to be, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's a kind city, a little dramatic. Sure, a little dramatic, a little, a little gossipy. Theater communities, of yeah. Any and size, in general, just no matter where, yeah. It so it's very kind and safe. I would say it's a mm. safe place to be.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: Um, yeah, like you feel good. You don't feel like anyone's out to hurt you.
1: That's great. Yeah, I love that. What a great. Um, sentiment to end on. Thank you for sitting with me, Mercedes. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Mercedes White. You can support her on Patreon, which I will include the link to, or you can go support her work at Jackalope Theatre, which I will also provide the link to. And please support this podcast so you can hear more stories like Mercedes and learn more about the Chicago theater industry. I'm Sarah, and thank you so much for listening.